So, you know, when we look at the Four Noble Truths as, um, like, the essence of the teachings, it's really helpful to have a sense of how to work with it in our practice. So, certainly when we're beginning to get a sense of, you know, the all-pervasive nature of, of dukkha, we can get a feeling for that. But what's also really helpful is to understand, well, how do we work with uh, looking at where the cause is and realize the cessation of that? There's a monk who is contemporary. His name is Ajandun Atulo. I think he passed away uh, in the last, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years. And he summarized the Four Noble Truths. And the way he summarized these Four Noble Truths is so um, pithy because it really brings one's attention exactly to the way of practicing with them. So it takes it out of the conceptual model and into directly the practice relationship path model. So listen up. The mind set outside is the origination of suffering. The result of the mind set outside is suffering. The mind seeing the mind is the path. And the result of the mind seeing the mind is the cessation of suffering. Shall I do it again? (laughs) The mindset outside, so when attention moves away from just being clear and still in the present moment of knowing, any movement to grasp onto an object, the movement outside resting in stability of just knowing is the origination of suffering. That's the cause. The result of the mind set outside is suffering. That is the whole variety and expression of dukkha in all of its myriad forms. The mind seeing the mind is the path. When we recognize this, when we wake up to this, when we see what's going on, that's the path. Right there is the path. It's not separate from seeing where the suffering is. The result of seeing the mind, the result of the mind seeing the mind is the cessation of suffering. At the moment that we watch and see where suffering has arisen, when we're attentive to the cause, the result of seeing the cause is the cessation, the release, the extinguishing, the letting go of suffering. It's not far away from right here. It doesn't require bald heads. It doesn't require robes. So when we look at right view, you know, this whole teaching, I started with the fact that the whole essence of the teaching is about understanding suffering and the end of suffering. So when we look at a teaching proposing to lead to the end of suffering, it must give a reliable account of its causes. If we want to get to the end, we have to know where it starts. And so the summation of what is considered to be the cause of suffering is generally classified as three. Lopa or desire, which has to do with self-centered desire for pleasure, possessions, the urge to bolster one's ego with power, status, or prestige. Dosa, that's aversion. That's all of the rejection, contraction, pulling away. 
That's the hatred, the condemnation, the anger, and the violence. There is a magnificent um, poster that's on the wall. And on the top of it, it says, I hate you because... And then it lists all of the 10,000 reasons why we discriminate about somebody. And then on the bottom it says, because you're different. It's just, it's sterling. It's just on the wall here. Just incredible. So the ways in which our minds contract and separate out and put somebody other than and our hearts shut down and shut off, this is all expressions of aversion. And we don't only do it with people, we do it with aspects of ourselves. The feelings that we don't like, the thoughts that we don't like, the fact that we are not perfect at every minute of every day under every circumstance. And the kind of blaming and condemnation and judgment and self-criticism and self-loathing that gets generated because we're not perfect every day of every minute under every circumstance. This is aversion. And it needs to be woken up to and seen for what it is. And we need to become vigilant to stop believing it, following it, and acting from that. Then there's moha, which is delusion. This is the kind of mental darkness. This is the kind of mental um, insensitivity that blocks out clear understanding. All aspects of desire, aversion, and delusion are expressions of ignorance. This is not the ignorance that doesn't have specific pieces of information for specific facts, like how to make the sound system work or how to turn off the ice machine. It's the kind of ignorance that is not willing to see things as they are. This is not a conceptual knowledge, but a perceptual felt sense. So if ignorance is the inability to see things as they are, the waking up out of ignorance is the ability to see things as they are. To have the perceptual and felt sense of what is actually happening right now. This then takes us into the third aspect of the Eightfold Path, the wisdom group, which helps us to see how this whole mess has been created. If we don't see how the mess has been created, then it's a bit of a stab in the dark how we're going to sort it out. And yet, as beautiful as this place is, as lovely, as as welcoming, as generous, as kind, as as noble the intention behind it, When we sit still for five minutes, we can see the arising of ignorance and the way that we're relating to it in the way that we relate to our own body experience, our perceptions, and our mind. Ignorance is not separate from what's happening right now and how we're relating to it, even if external conditions are lovely. So as we begin to let the concentration and the settledness from this morning, the container of the precepts, support our investigation, then from that we're able to see the arising of the mechanism that causes suffering. And in seeing the mechanism, then we're in a position to dismantle it. So that's what I would like this afternoon to be about. Looking at the way this arises and becoming more conversant with how we can stop it or where we can stop it.
Because it isn't always the case that we're in a lovely environment. Sometimes we're in a place that's hard or harsh. But when we recognize that the cause of suffering is not solely external related, but an internal relationship with what's arising, then we have a handle on where we can work with it. Now, I said it in this kind of language because there are circumstances where the suffering of what we are experiencing is so intense that it is difficult for our minds to focus on the internal cause. However, when we train ourselves in this way, it gives more capacity. And so one of the most inspiring stories that I have heard was when His Holiness the Dalai Lama was talking to somebody who'd been incarcerated for 20-something years and tortured regularly. And he was asked, he was a monk, and he was asked, were you ever in danger? And his response was, yes, I was in danger of losing compassion for the Chinese. And so when we take our practice to be the most important thing in our life, then even in circumstances that would have most of us at our wit's end, it can still shine as a jewel of light to guide our attention and our thoughts about where our priorities are. And so in that circumstances, it wasn't his own life that he was concerned about. That was not as important as his heart closing over and not being able to feel compassion for the very people who are inflicting brutality towards him. Now, for most of us, that feels like a tall order. And yet, we have to start with where we're at. We have to recognize the importance of that and the possibility of that. That when we place our aspiration to wake up out of suffering, even higher than we place our own life, then it gives us the resource, the courage, the capacity to deal with things that sometimes would be absolutely beyond our imagination. So this practice is kind of like, you know, not practice for babies, you know. It's the whole kit and caboodle. It's the whole nine yards. It can take us all the way through to the end of suffering and can support us through the thick and the thin when it's lovely and joyful and we're surrounded by people who have precepts and keep precepts and support precepts and when we're not. Because it's not dependent on other people. It's dependent on our relationship with our own uh, experience. And that is something that we do not relinquish choice over until we relinquish choice over. That is our choice until we give it up. So even if somebody were to come in with a shotgun and hijack us and take us someplace terrible and keep guns at our heads and tell us that they were going to shoot us any minute of the day, we still would have the choice of how we related to the circumstance and what we were doing with our attention unless our minds inverted and we no longer had that choice. And so one of the reasons why this is so incredibly powerful is because there are circumstances when we can put this to work where our sense of peace and well-being is not dependent on the conditions around us. It's not dependent on our health. It's not dependent on how well we are. It's not dependent on what's happening with the people that we love. 
It's not dependent on our communities. It's not dependent on the politics. It's not dependent on the government. And yet, when we are able to understand that as a direct experience, not as just a good idea, then that gives us capacity to be with ourselves and the people we love and our family and our communities and in politics in a way where what we understand is important is to make structures and policies and relationships that supports the end of suffering and not to be involved anymore in causing harm. And I know for myself, it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. You know, there's a lot of my own unconscious processes that are still finding a way to resolve that I have to be on top of and vigilant with and make amends for when I go outside of what I know to be absolutely upright. And yet, you know, what else are we doing? You know, what else is important? So I'd like to begin this afternoon with another meditation.